You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 864 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday, and we are less than 48 hours as I record this from the 2020 NBA Draft. Plenty to get to on today's podcast. We'll start off with some news here at the top, followed by some audio from Travis Schlenk, who addressed the media on Monday afternoon. And then finally, later in the show, we'll have Brian Schroeder back for our final installment of our prospect series with Isaac Okoro discussion there. So hold on tight for all of that. Okay, but we can dive into the news. Um, as a reminder, by the way, uh, it's mock draft season in full, and that also includes a lot on NBA mock draft, which I was a, a big part of that show, acting as the Hawks number six overall, as well as one of the uh, panel experts, if you want to call it that, along with Josh Lloyd, Brendan Clean, and David Locke on that particular uh, sort of five-part extravaganza on the Locked On NBA podcast. We check that all out as well. But to that end, mock drafts, um, there were four mainstream mock drafts updated on Monday morning, or at least Monday afternoon. They came from ESPN's Jonathan Gavoni and Mike Schmitz, Jonathan Washman of Bleacher Report, Sam Messini of The Athletic, and Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated all presented new mocks on Monday. And again, I always caution people, mock drafts are informative sometimes. There's always a lot of good intel along the way, especially from guys like um, ESPN guys and Wasserman and Vecini. Uh, but it's just one of those things where... You can't get overcommitted to them. Uh, I will just put that out there. I, I saw a lot of reaction to these. They are certainly worth monitoring, but people now are assuming this is definitely what's going to happen. I would certainly caution against thinking that way. So I wanted to at least pass along to you what they actually projected, though. Two of them, ESPN's mock and Bleacher Report's mock, had Onyeka Okongwu from USC to the Hawks at number six overall. Sam Vecini projected... Tyrese Halliburton, a very popular pick there, of course, in recent days, and also a sleeper from Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated with Patrick Williams as his projection there, which certainly raised some eyebrows. I heard from some people on that as well. Um, again, I don't have huge takeaways here. I think I will post sort of my final thoughts on tomorrow's final show before the draft, but I will be totally fine with the Kong Wu. Um, I understand that the Capella thing looms there, but as we'll get into in a second with Travis Schlank, if you view a prospect as the best player on the board, with a Kong Wu especially, I think that is definitely a possible thing. I have him in my top five very firmly, so I'll keep that all in mind. If you view a guy like that as the best player available pretty clearly, even as the Hawks, I think you could definitely take him. I've been saying that for months now. I think Kong Wu has been on my board the entire way, along with Killian Hayes. Those are the two guys who are not like necessarily perfect, perfect fits, but they are both top five guys for me. I think the Hawks could draft either one of them, and I'd be totally fine with that. Um, Halliburton, obviously a very reasonable pick. I'm not like over the moon about Halliburton's upside, but at the same time, He's someone who does fit pretty well, I think, in Atlanta and someone who is uh, pretty much beloved by everyone that tries to uh, sort of analyze him or be around him or cover him. He has a lot of role player strengths. Williams is definitely a little bit of a reach to me. I haven't talked about him quite as much at number six overall because of where he actually was projected in the last couple of months. But in the last maybe week or two, it seems like he has a quite a bit of helium in the process. He seems to be the, the late riser. There's usually, there's usually at least one late riser. It seems like it's going to be, it seems like it's going to be Williams this time around. Um, you know, there is upside there, given his athleticism and his tools as a modern-day power forward with some real um, intrigue on both ends of the floor. Again, at six, it seems a little bit too early for me. Um, there is some buzz that he might go to Detroit at number seven. That's a team that's linked to him quite a bit. Um, I wouldn't be 
um, over the moon about that. About that at six for the Hawks, I think it's, they could obviously do worse than that necessarily, but it would be a little bit aggressive. But we'll get into that if we need to later on. But there you go on that. The other big news of the day came outside of Atlanta. Both, um, I guess, have marginal impact on the Hawks, one of which is the Chris Paul trade to Phoenix. On yesterday's show, I talked about the Oklahoma City 2022 obligation that the Hawks have. People asked about that yet again today because Chris Paul is now leaving Oklahoma City for Phoenix. I think my general approach is still the same. Everything comes down to how OKC approaches the next year and a half. Again, as a reminder, the Hawks are owed a pick from Oklahoma City in 2022 if the Thunder um, make the playoffs that year. But again, it's 2022, so it's the following season. It's 21-22, not this upcoming season. The Thunder are certainly rebuilding at this point in time, but they have so many assets and so many intriguing um, ways to go here with Sam Presti. They also now have R- Ricky Rubio and Danny Green and Kelly Oubre, in addition to Steven Adams um, and Shea Gilchrist-Alexander. So they have a bunch of guys who can play right now. That's not a playoff team for next year, almost certainly, no matter what they do here, but they could be pretty good again in two years. So I wouldn't panic just yet. Again, I project that that pick to not necessarily convey for the Hawks, but do not worry just yet. I got a lot of questions about Chris Paul and the impact there. I'll just say that everyone was assuming Paul was not going to be there anyway, so the impact of the trade itself is not really anything, and we'll get into uh, how that's all going to project again probably in another year or so. Um, Also, the dam finally broke with James Harden, uh, I guess, firmly asking out of Houston. Um, At one point in the day on Monday or even on Sunday, it seemed like he was open to a contender necessarily. Now it seems like Brooklyn is the number one destination according to the reporting from ESPN. So people ask me about Harden in Atlanta. And that's pretty natural, of course, as a question because the Hawks have so many assets. Harden is, of course, like a top 10 player in the league, etc. Um, I think he does not seem to want to go to a team like, like Atlanta. I think he wants to be at, uh, sort of on a contender. And by the way, he reportedly turned down a two-year, $103 million extension. That's real life. Uh, that's a crazy amount of money that you would not want to take. But obviously, Brooklyn is his now his focus. In terms of Atlanta, you know, obviously Harden is so good that you have to at least call and see what's going on there. If you are Travis Schlenk, uh, the fit's not ideal. The fit's not ideal with Trey Young, I wouldn't say. But James Harden's in a stratosphere where, like, I guess you have to call. Um, I think it's not exactly going to happen or likely to happen. People ask me if I, if I would at least try. And sure, you have to at least make the phone call, I suppose, on any kind of guy who is that good. you got to at least make the one phone call, see what the price is, and then probably hang up from there. But um, it seems like Harden's either going to be in Houston or Brooklyn, so I wouldn't worry too much about that at this point in time. The other thing is that there was a stray report on Monday about the Hawks being prepared to make, make a significant offer to Joe Harris of the Nets. I would not make too much of this at all because of everything I've been saying the entire time. Yes, Harris would be a good target. He's been a guy that I've talked about for months now as a potential Hawks target. And I think the Hawks will at least call and try to see what's going on there with Joe Harris, who's a free agent, of course, coming from Brooklyn, a two-way guy, but certainly is known for his shooting, but I think is a decent defender as well. Um, I think, though, the big thing to point out, again, with any of these links to free agents, that I've been saying this now for a long time, the Hawks are going to be linked to everyone. Rajon Rondo was a name that I talked about last night, and then there was a little bit more firm, firm reporting from Brad Turner of the LA Times. There's been the Jeremy Grant stuff, Derek Jones Jr. stuff, Dallas Berton stuff. Basically, every single free agent is going to be linked to the Hawks that has any sort of bearing in reality, and we'll see what that actually means, but I just wouldn't panic just yet, especially if it's not, if it's not Woj, it's not Shams talking about a guy. Um, it's just not worth giving that much energy to. Again, Joe Harris makes a lot of sense, and at a certain price, you definitely want to explore that if you were Atlanta. At the same time, 
Brooklyn wants to bring him back, and they kind of desperately need him, honestly. I know that sounds weird because it's Joe Harris on a team that has a bunch of stars, but he's really their only knockdown shooter outside of the guys who are, uh, of course, their stars, and he can play a little bit of defense as well. They kind of just need him. He's a great role player on a, on a good team, so we'll see what happens there. I think the Hawks could certainly offer him a deal. I would be surprised if they didn't offer him something along the way here, but um, just don't worry too much just yet about Joe Harris or anybody else. That, that's sort of my that's my that's my blanket assertion right now is that um, I wouldn't panic without firm reporting. I wouldn't go crazy on any um, stray free agent rumor just yet if I'm Atlanta. Last thing for now, the Chicago Bulls made some news on Monday with some qualifying offer decisions, both of, uh, a couple of which will actually potentially impact the Hawks in free agency. I wouldn't say definitely they will, but they certainly could. Chris Dunn is a guy that I've talked about a lot as a potential Hawks target, and a lot of Hawks fans have been uh, sort of talking about him as well. Um, also, Shaq Harrison. Both those guys were not issue qualifying offers, so the big thing is that Chris Dunn is no longer a restricted free agent, as many projected him to be. He's now unrestricted. That's a small thing, but it's also a big thing if you are a team that's trying to get him. That means no match rights for the Bulls. That means more of a free-for-all. Um, and Dunn is one of the best defensive guards in the entire league, if not the best. He is genuinely elite defensively, and because of that, he's a pretty natural Hawks fit in a lot of ways. He's a pretty bad offensive player, to be honest with you, but in Atlanta, you could play him with Trey Young, have him take away just the best the best perimeter guy on the other team. He's really awesome defensively, and if you can get him off the ball a little bit on the... Uh, sorry, he's, he's really awesome defensively. Uh, and then if you can get him off the ball a little bit offensively, he can be at least a functional piece of your team. I wouldn't go crazy paying um, through the nose for Chris Dunn because he is kind of a one-way player on defense, but someone who I think it, the fit would be good with. I know he has the history with Trey Young in terms of uh, some on-court spats, but I wouldn't worry about that too much. I think that uh, guys that are competitive like to be competing on the court, and I think if they uh, were on the same team, it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. As for Harrison, a lot less famous, of, of, of course, than Dunn. I think he actually be cheaper than Dunn. Um, not quite as good defensively, but a better shooter. And this year was actually pretty good, sneakily, in Chicago. Not a guy that, you, that, that you're going to pay a ton of money to, but I think as a fringe guy who could play a little bit of defense, um, maybe play with Trey a tiny bit, and also back him up a little bit as well, a guy that you want to at least circle as a potential low-cost option. So those are two names to keep an eye on. Dunn is the bigger news because he is now unrestricted, but uh, Harrison is a guy that I also think would be worth at least an examination if I am the Hawks this offseason. Okay, before we get to some audio from Travis Schlenk, I want to tell you about our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Built Go. Whether it's a mental wall or a physical wall, I can break through it right now with Built Go every single day. And Built Go is a healthy replacement for your energy drink, but energy is anything but fake. Instead, it's both lasting and it's natural. Built Go is easy to take in one and a half ounce packages. You can put it in your briefcase, your golf bag, or your pocket, get you through whatever you're facing today. Built Go is essentially a five hour energy without the same feeling of a crash. Plus, it's natural and it's better for the body. As a result, and there are three delicious flavors to choose from, and chocolate mint, peanut butter honey, and chocolate coconut, Bilgo is loaded with the good stuff to ignite your work. Listeners to the podcast will perhaps know that I have multiple jobs that I have to tend to on a regular basis, and sometimes... And a little bit extra to get through the day and the night, but Built Go is a fantastic solution to break through my own wall in order to try it for yourself. Visit BuiltGo.com, use the promo code LOCKED to get 30% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. All right, as I said before on the top of the podcast, uh, Travis Schlenk did a media availability, a pretty standard pre-draft availability on Monday afternoon via Zoom. I wanted to play a little bit of that audio for you. I will say, broadly speaking, there was not a ton of like full-fledged news from this, and by and that's not exactly a surprise. You know, public, you know, GMs talking in public, basketball president, presidents of basketball operations, as Travis Schlenk is, it can be noteworthy, but nobody's going to give away their whole plan. 
ahead of the draft. Keep that in mind. Be skeptical. I always say this, you know, don't take everything as gospel that a, uh, a staffer says in public before the draft. And I know Schlenk is in charge and ultimately the guy making the decisions, but he's not going to be uh, necessarily incentivized to tell you exactly what he's going to do. So keep that all in mind throughout all of this. So with that said, at the top here, I will uh, play some thoughts from Travis. And the first thing that I'm going to play for you is his, sort of his overall thoughts on the depth and talent in the 2020 draft. Yeah, I, I think there might not be the star power depth of this draft that we've seen in you know some recent drafts. But, you know, as, as I say all the time, there'll be good players come out of, out of this draft. You know, you just have to find them. Um, you know, we have the 50th pick in this draft. And there's actually guys that we like all the way down at 50. So um, there might not be the quote-unquote star power household names. But, you know, we, we think there'll, there'll be some good players come out of this draft for sure. Obviously, it's not breaking news to talk about the draft. Uh, in this case, is a, uh, I would say, less than average draft, especially at the top. But even hearing a guy in Schleich's position admit that publicly is uh, noteworthy because that means it's probably even worse than you might imagine. So keep that all in mind. Um, from there, he's uh, he's been asked this a million times in the past, but uh, sort of philosophically, he was asked about the best player overall um, debate versus potentially drafting for fit. So here is Travis's thoughts on doing so at number six overall in this class. I think that comes comes into play if we view the players as the same caliber, right? So if we don't see a large gap in talent, um, we think you know the players have you know roughly the same are on the same level on the talent page. Then then you might start looking at fit and who you think's uh, the best fit for your team. You know if they're on different different tiers talent wise, then that that's going to win every time. So in the past, Schleck has been very clearly someone who says he's always going to draft the best player available. Um, that's not always been the case in practice. I think you could certainly say that last year's DeAndre Hunter investment was at least somewhat fit-based. I'm sure they liked him as well. They clearly did. But um, we'll see how much that plays into it. I was just inter interested to pass that along because I, I generally agree with what he said there. I think best player available is the right decision, especially near the top of the draft. But fit is a tiebreaker. If your tiers are different, you got to take that guy. And that's why I was talking about earlier with a Kongwu or someone like Hayes. If, you, if, they, if you've wanted to value those guys at a different level, you got to just kind of take them and figure it out later. But that's sort of the uh, peek behind the curtain with Travis himself. From there, he was asked sort of on the uh, big picture on the opportunity this offseason, how it differs from previous seasons with uh, sort of his leadership and how the Hawks are approaching the upcoming days. You know, we, we've always looked to take advantage of, of our cap space, you know, We've been doing that ever since I got here. I think the, the difference is, you know, in the past, we, we've taken on, quote unquote, dead money to gain assets. And this year, we're going to go out there and look to to sign guys that we think mesh or blend well with our guys. So it, it's, it's turning the corner a little bit from asset accumulation to um, hopefully talent uh, accumulation. Um, you know, I think we saw that, that the first step of that was last year at the trade deadline with Clint. You know, we went out and used a draft pick to go get Clint. And really, we can say he's going to be like a free agent because we never saw him play at all last year with our guys. So we, I guess we've already got our first free agent. So I think people paying close attention would know that this is going to be very different offseason wise for the Hawks compared to the previous ones. Like he said there, they sort of use their cap space to take on bad contracts, etc. This time around, they could certainly do a little bit of that, but clearly they're in a sea change now, looking towards the playoffs, looking towards the big picture, trying to be better next year, and uh, that sort of informs all of that. In fact, there was a follow-up qu uh, quickly after that with Schlenk about the expectations that he has for this season, the playoff discussion, etc. So here's what he had to say about how he's approaching next season from that perspective. Well, I think the big thing for us is just to continue to see growth. Um, you know, never put the pressure on. And there's been others that have said, you know, playoffs, it's certainly a goal. 
Um, you know, we won't, we won't run from that. Uh, it's what we're going to try to achieve. But, you know, the fact remains that we still have six guys, 22 or younger on our roster, and there's going to be a learning curve. But we feel very good about our young core that we have. Um, we feel good about the work that they're put in this summer uh, and they're continuing to put in, getting ready for training camp here in a few weeks. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're very optimistic um, about the upcoming season. So you can hear that he's not running away from the playoff stuff, although not quite as boisterous as the players have been or uh, maybe Lloyd Pierce has been so far. But it's just the reality. The, the stage has been set for that as the obvious goal there. Um, from there, I want to sort of pivot to a couple more draft things specifically. One was that he was asked about the uncertainty at the top of the draft, and how that plays into uh, how Atlanta is approaching number six. Well, I think we feel pretty good uh, at the top few spots, um, at least, you know, maybe not who's going where, but what players are going. I think this, this draft kind of starts around four for us with Chicago um, and, you know, what they're going to do. Um, but to say there's more or less uncertainty, um, I guess at the top of the game, just because there's not the clear cut, this guy's the number one pick, right? You ask, look at three different mock drafts, and you probably see three different names up there, you know. But it's the same three names, just in whatever order they are. So I think that's maybe where the perception of uncertainty comes from. There is some interesting candor there with regard to the comment that he made about the draft starting at number four with the Bulls. That is the consensus, quite honestly, in that, you know, LaMelo Ball, James James, uh, Wiseman, and Anthony Edwards are seen as the consensus top three in a lot of ways. People are assuming they're going to be gone in the top three, but for sure to say that on the record is pretty interesting to me, even though if it's kind of backing up what we all kind of think. And obviously it could be different than that. You could see a trade that throws stuff off, but it seems like four is the pivot point where people are sort of clueless on how this is going to be approached. Uh, and by the way, the Bulls, as mentioned earlier with Chris Dunn, et cetera, this is a new front office for Chicago, so that they're kind of uh, in new ground here, and they sort of dictate how the rest of this goes along with Cleveland at five and then Atlanta at number six overall. Okay, from there, I want to tell you that, uh, or I guess pass along the audio from Travis, that he was asked to rank the probability between moving up, moving down, or staying put. It's a short clip, but uh, here's what he had to say kind of matter-of-factly about those three options. Yeah, I think uh, the, the, the biggest probability is we're staying where we are. I think the lowest probability is moving up. Um, so I guess somewhere in the middle will be moving back. Again, I want to stress that uh, he's not always incentivized to tell everybody the truth, but that is noteworthy in some respects, and that moving up is not seemingly like the, going to be the number one option there. Although, if he was going to move up, he wouldn't tell you. So keep that in mind. I kind of have, you know, I've been saying the whole time, I think it's more likely they move down, move down than up, but still um, just want to put that out there so you can all hear it for yourselves. Also, no real discussion about moving out today. Um, that's kind of hard to discuss because he's not going to really give you much on that, especially without names and stuff like that attached. But of course, that's an option for Atlanta as well, moving out of number six overall entirely. Also, he, I would say at different points of the press conference, he mentioned being comfortable at six. It's very clear that at least the messaging from Travis is that they're comfortable sticking at six. That's what you want to say if you want to trade the pick also, and that you want to make people sort of believe what you want to believe there, that you that you like a guy, that you're comfortable staying there, so people give up more assets to move up. So all kinds of conflicting information, as is want this time of year, but keep all of that stuff in mind. That's all the audio that I'm going to play for you. A couple of quick notes uh, from the presser because it, the audio was kind of uneven at times. It's all on Zoom, etc. Uh, we talked about shooting issues from last year. Nothing surprising there at all. None of the core guys were not the issue with that. Also talked about the defensive improvement as a focus. None of that's breaking news, something we've been talking about forever. Um, he pushed back on the concept that, they, that they've sold second round picks in the past. Um, my thoughts on that are well documented in that 
Yes, they've not done direct pick swaps, but if you read between the lines, they've done some financially motivated things in the second round, and that's, for me, the same as selling picks, but I know Travis is not going to say that on the record. He did not like that question from Chris Kirshner. <laughs> Shout out to Chris for asking it, because that's a, I think it's a pretty good approach to it. I think they have sold picks in the past, even if they were technically getting future assets along with them. They came with money, and that's kind of the motivator there. But Schlenk did say they have a group, a group of players that they're comfortable with at 50 overall, either with, either with the full roster or with two-way contracts. So 50 is a pick that, you know, it's so late. A lot of people talk about 45 being kind of a cutoff in a lot of ways, at least an artificial one. 50 is, of course, beyond that. Um, would it surprise me if the Hawks traded that pick? No, it would not. Would it surprise me if they sold that pick? No, it would not. Or if they made it? No, it would not. So I wouldn't put too much stock in it. There are guys I think that could be valuable at 50, at least reasonably so for the future as, as potential supporting pieces for you later on. But um, that's one where it's really hard to discuss that with any certainty whatsoever, although Travis did say multiple times that they have a group of guys that they like at that particular point in the class. Non-draft stuff, he talks about some of the uncertainty with the schedule and the protocol for the upcoming season. He, By the way, he said the understanding that Travis and the team has is that the schedule is going to be released one half at a time, and there's a lot of uh, uncertainty on the procedural stuff moving forward. So lots of questions. That's not a huge surprise, but the schedule note is certainly one that is fascinating when the schedule is going to be coming out, presumably pretty soon, because the opening night for the NBA is, uh, what, five weeks away at this point in time? Something like that. Keep that all in mind. Last thing, John Collins' extension talk came up, as it is wont to do. Um, he said that Collins is a big piece of our team. That's a direct quote there from Travis, and that they will begin to engage with Collins' representation beginning when they are allowed to do so at 6 p.m. on Friday. Um, this is something that he's never going to talk about beyond just that. Um, that's a, a topic I've been talking about forever now on the extension stuff there. Um, long story short... I could see both some something getting done there, and Travis said he was optimistic, basically, that, that it could get done. Um, it depends on where Collins' side lands and where the Hawks land. There are plenty of, I would say, nuances on both sides, with the Hawks maybe uh, want to take advantage of his low cap hold next summer, whereas Collins wants the security, I'm sure. So is there a middle ground, potentially? If I'm the Hawks, I would not give him the max or anything close to the max a year early. Um, just because there is the opportunity cost of the low cap hold for next summer, and at that point you're taking out all the risk. This is all stuff that I've litigated before in the past that you can find elsewhere. Also, you can see some more expl explanation stuff on peacetreehoops.com in the salary cap thing that I, I, I talked about yesterday that went live on Monday, and that explores some of the nuances and the money stuff on the extension front with John Collins. But obviously, a... Uh, a good part of the team right now, the second best player on the team right now, a guy that you want to keep long-term if, if at all possible. And uh, just by the way, just because um, I've heard this said many times, and I would say non-Atlanta sources, if the Hawks do not extend John Collins, they do not have to trade him. Um, that's that's kind of silly. Certainly they could trade him, I guess. If you want to go, go down that road, you certainly could. But no extension does not mean that he's going to be gone. The Hawks would still have his restricted for agent rights next summer, and they would have every incentive to use his low cap hold, um, sign above it, and then match on whatever offer that he were to get or give him a bunch of money after that. So I would not take too much out of that. If, if the extension does not come, that's a topic that we'll be, we'll be covering uh, even more in depth as there are any, any negotiations that start happening on Friday. Okay, hopefully that covers the gamut there on what Travis had to say. Again, to wrap it all up, Nothing groundbreaking. I know there's a little bit of news to be had there, but in terms of just everything being said by anyone right now, keep your guard up. That's a big, big thing this time of year. 
And a lot of the questions will be answered on Wednesday and even more by Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So there you go on that. Okay, before we wrap up the podcast with Brian Schroeder at the end of the show, I want to remind you that I will have one more episode on this feed before the draft. It's probably going to just be me unless I have a, uh, there is a guest that I've been efforting. And if that comes through, I will have that on the podcast. But for the most part, I think it's going to be me just sort of taking stock, taking a step back, and laying out all of the options in advance of the draft on Wednesday. And then, of course, whatever happens, I will not have talked about because that's, that's what happens on the draft. But uh, that's my plan. Also, if you have mailbag questions, I might, I might answer a couple of those on that podcast. If you have any of those, fire them at me on Twitter at BT Roll or at Locked on Hawks, and I will potentially get to them on that show. But we will have one more episode before the, before the draft. It's going to post on midnight on Wednesday morning which gives you, you know, 18 hours, 20 hours to listen to it before the uh, actual draft commences. Okay, um, that'll wrap up this, this portion of the podcast. After this quick break, we'll come back with Brian Schroeder on Isaac Coro. Our last guy here, Brian, is Isaac Coro. Um, after all of this discussion that you and I have been having on all these prospects, I saved him for the end. Uh, not particular order, but also a guy that's been uh, mocked to the Hawks a lot. He's a local product, as is Devin Vassell, by the way, uh, a local high school guy for Atlanta and someone who I think from early in the process – uh, you know, six, seven, eight months ago was a very popular Hawks target. He could be gone by then, of course, but Okoro is really interesting, and I think he's really polarizing as a result. Uh, let's just start there. The The big point of polarization for Isaac Okoro is his jump shot, so let's get it out of the way now. Brian, is he going to be able to shoot, and if he doesn't shoot, is it going to be okay? I'm not sure if he can shoot. Like It seems like he probably can't right now. He, 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 may just have, he also may just have not – he never had to. He was, he's a dominant athlete. So like in, in high school, when him and Sharif Cooper were running off like 45, 50 wins in a row, just shredding people at McEachern, um, like he just never had to. So he, yeah, he definitely, like Auburn had some real problems later in the SEC schedule with people just, they like Tony Allen, him, they just didn't guard him and he was not confident in his shot. So he would try and drive into it and turn the ball over and they just really lost their spacing and, and had a lot of problems. But, I, you know, I think you can teach anyone to shoot. There's something, like, wrong with his shot, really. He also may have the problem where he's too strong, so he's just, like, shooting too hard. Because he, he definitely had some skips over the rim. You get those. And, like, far rim hits, that's always the one that you're, like, you're shooting way too hard. But I think I think when Lugans Dort hit shots this year, some, I think he'll be better than that. I think he'll be better than Tony Allen. He'll be better than... He'll probably be better than Robertson because he doesn't have like the weird hitches that Robertson has. So like, if he's better than that, he'll be fine. He'll be an okay player. And I, I think he's going to be better than that. Um, I'm not sure he's going to be good, and no one, no one that tells you he's going to be good can tell you that with certainty. I'll say that on the shooting front. But I do think it will get better than it is now. I think he'll eventually have to be guarded if it's my projection. And, you know, he has every – we talked about Halliburton with the same way, but all of the off-court stuff, all the all the hard work stuff is there with Okoro oh, in every he's way. he's a monster. He's apparently a great winner. Workout freak, yeah. Yeah, workout guy, all this stuff. Well, he went he went over two years without losing a basketball game because they went – Yeah, became, uh, they, became, they, 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 they never lost in high school, and then they started out really hot at Auburn too. So it was like – Yeah, so he went over two, two seasons. They, uh, he actually lost to Kyra Lewis. Kyra Lewis had like 29, and Alabama beat them. Um, and that was fun because it was fun to see like Okoro was really amped up on defense in that game. Cause he was like, Hey, look, it's somebody who's as fast as me. It's been a long, like I may have never played someone who was fast, maybe faster than him. So he was like really excited to guard Kyra. Um, <laughs> he, if there's any flaw with him defensively, he's a little too excitable. Like he gets choppy feet. Sometimes he gets like happy. 
he's probably going to get a few offensive calls by just careening into people and clotheslining them with his giant wrestler arms. Like, he's a monster. But yeah, I mean, let's obviously, go we can, let's go to the defense because uh, it's a good transition point. He's he's known for his defense, and rightly so. He's a really good defensive prospect in a lot of different ways. Um on ball and off ball has some stuff that you like. He's not the tallest or longest guy, but he's such a freak athlete and he's so strong, like you alluded to there. Uh, give me the rundown in your mind on his defense, like how good it is everyone agrees it's good. So how good well, is it both on ball and off ball? When I said that Vassell was the second best, the guy who had the second highest floor on both of those, Okoro uh, is the the number one guy of like. He's very rare. Like he's a very, very. He is probably the closest thing to that shutdown defender, defensive guy. And he's a good, like a very, very good team defender. He doesn't make mistakes. He knows how to rotate. He knows exactly when to chip people. He's gonna go. He's gonna be a guy. He's gonna be the rare guy who will chase guys around screens and also run through screens. Because like if, if a smaller, if it's like a three or a four tries to set a screen, he's gonna like blow them up. He's just gonna get low. Like he plays like a football player more than most. He plays, he plays like like. He, he'll have his moments. He's very fast, but he'll have his moments where he looks like Julius Peppers in North Carolina, which is like he knocks people over. I remember, I'm old enough to remember when he played in North Carolina and he was the, Me too. <laughs> the world's greatest six foot five power forward. Just like literally blowing people up uh, with physicality in the way that he did. And that people, yeah, that's, it's, it's uh, interesting because obviously Okoro is not, Six eight. He's listed at six six. I think maybe six five. Yeah, I think I think he, I think he's between there. Six five and a half. I think he's the, one of the classic between six five six six guys. And he's like two twenty five, two thirty. I mean, he's jacked. he's two twenty five, but it's it's ninety eight percent muscle. Like it's that's not... what I mean. He's absolutely jacked, and I think that he moves so well. There was this. Uh, I, I want to know what you feel about this. Actually, there's this notion that he almost got too big at Auburn. Because like might have. like football, like he was maybe doing some football kind of workout stuff, and maybe he got a little mm. bit top heavy. Um, but in the NBA, I don't worry about that. He'll obviously figure it out. He's such, he's such a good athlete that it's gonna it's gonna figure out. Um, but I mean, positionally, I don't care too much about this. But he's he's a wing, so he's not. Yeah. But here, I guess the only question is, for a huge upside defensive prospect, can he go out and? Is he big enough? I guess he's strong enough for sure. Yes. But is he long yes. enough to guard all the best guys? You know, your LeBrons, your Kawhis, that that whole narrative that's out there. Is he? Can he do that? I don't know if he's long enough, but is anyone? I, there's not. True. I don't. I OG. don't think you could really get it. those guys. <laughs> yeah. Um. He will. He will guard up though. He will guard up. He will guard down. I mean, a, a good like physically, I think a good comp for him is like David Nwaba. Just like that guy, David Wabo, well, he he gave up two three inches to guys and still defended them well. Like this didn't, doesn't matter. Yeah, I think I think Dort, the, the whole Dort thing that you mentioned before it, it got overplayed. I think a little bit because Okoro is a much better prospect than Dort was in yeah, a lot of different plays ways. Yeah, he plays like that though. But he that's does, that, does, yeah. I, th- I was gonna say defensively that makes a lot of sense. And by the way, I, th- I think Okoro might even be an inch taller than uh, than yes. Dort. Maybe so. Two. Dort's like six three and a half. It, if you saw the way that Dort defended and everybody got really excited with good reason, he's a great defensive prospect for sure. Um, but Imagine that plus two inches, and he might even be better. And that's Okoro. <laughs> he's a uh, much better ball handler. Okoro oh yeah, Off- offensively good. he's better, like full stop better. I think Okoro is very, very good at. Um, this is why teams stop closing out on him because he would get past closeouts, take two dribbles, and make great passes, like bullet passes to the corner, dump offs, uh, passes out to the side. He's really good at that. Really good at like one hand bounce passes going through the lane to somebody else. Just like reads the timing on it perfectly. That's part of why teams stopped closing out on him because he he would burn him, so they would just let him shoot, and so he he would hesitate, and then he would drive into that guy and you know 
not have the lane for a pass or it's like you get called for an offensive foul and try and shoot like a floater and he just doesn't have that touch. So th- that really hurt him. The, the good thing is, is that you're not going to like, if you don't close on him in the NBA, he'll just pass the ball away. He's not going to try and like, the, no team's going to tell him to drive in the three guys in the paint. And if he does have to drive, drive the three guys in the paint, somebody's going to be open. So it'll be fine. He's like the, it's, it's really a shame. He's probably going to be out of their range. He's the textbook guy that Sam Presti loves to take. Oh yeah. Like, and he would be perfect for them, but they're not going to get him. No, not a chance. And I mean, okay, so offensively, everyone talks about the shooting, and I get why, but you got into a little bit there. I think everything except for his shooting is now pretty underrated in the in in the discussion. I think I really like him as a secondary ball handler. I like him, you know, he's a great finisher. Like, he really attacks the rim, gets downhill, does what you want there. I think he's a good ball mover. He's a good passer for his size. I don't know. There's just a lot that you like. He's a good cutter, too. Every, I think pretty much everything but shooting, I like a lot about his offense is that am i wrong no he's he's gonna get a lot of uh way above the rim finisher like probably of all the guys who are gonna be drafted in the first round he's probably the most like emphatic him or edwards but he doesn't traffic more than edwards does and like and then cassius stanley also but the cassius stanley's not a prospect i'm not taking that guy was a 21 year old freshman who cares uh, <laughs> um but yeah like he's a big big dude gets way above the rim um, you could you, honestly, you could probably throw him. You could throw him like out of bounce lobs, like just throw him up to the rim from like behind the backboard. He'll probably get it. If if if, if people aren't if the other team's not ready for it, he's gonna get it and dunk. Um, his hands, I'm not sure how big they are, so maybe he has trouble. Like he, he'll have some um, some they call them wrist dunks, where he can't control the ball entirely with his hand. Gary yeah. Lewis has that problem too. But that's not like yeah, I'm not, it's not a huge thing for me. It's, it's more of a problem for Biggs personally. He's not. No, I, and I think it'll be I think it'll be fine for for sure. I mean, we talked about everything that he can and can't do. Now, people always ask me for for comps for him um, because of the fact that he can't shoot. I think that's the hardest thing people for people to see. And he's not, you know, Vassell. This is this is too broad, but I'll say it just just to be as broad as possible. Vassell is that like kind of plug and play three and D archetype guy. And Okoro is not really that. He can do no. a little bit of that, but what you don't want to have him do on offense, especially is just like stand in the corner. That's not what you want him to do. Um, so that's the question I have for Atlanta. You've seen the Hawks play enough where I can ask you this. Um, what's that look like offensively? Because obviously recently the Hawks have been a very stagnant, you know, pick and roll, spread the floor team. Um, they, they want to change that a little bit in the future, but they still have – the, you know, one of the best pick and roll ball handlers in the whole league. So they're, they're going to do a lot of that. And Okoro offensively is not the greatest fit around that in my view. I think he's a, I think he's a very good fit around that if he's playing the four and he's setting the screens. <laughs> Which isn't going to happen though. I, I, at least early on, I don't think that's going to happen very much. No, Just but he, he can set screens. Like uh, there may be a lineup they could run out. See, the problem is though, if you don't play Collins or Capella, then who's the center? Uh, but yeah, there's a lineup they could run out that has probably reddish Trey, insert wing, Okoro, some other like smaller, smallish big, whoever their backup center ends up being. And that could be like a fun, that could be really fun. Hell, you could go Okoro at five and just go like a super small lineup. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because there's the notion of run down people's throats. That's the lineup you, you put out. Right. And this scares people, but there is the possibility, especially if he can't shoot that he is better as a four at, at some point in his career. Um, and that scares people. And I get why, at least, at least on offense. Um, 
but I don't know. It wouldn't scare me that much because I, I do think that he can still play a little bit on the perimeter offensively. I really do. Like the shooting is going to be a swing for him. Everyone knows it. You know, it will definitely dictate some of his upside on, on the offensive side of the ball. But it's not like, okay, I guess I'll just broadly say if he can't shoot and he's the same kind of defensive player that you think he's going to be, how good how good is that player? Is he is he still is, he, is, he, is he, so he's still is, is he still worth for instance I don't know out of nowhere here the number six pick overall if he's that guy but his shooting never comes around like it's not a disaster necessarily but someone who you, you always think of as a pretty bad shooter is that okay at six like is that reasonable still that's fine there's been worse picks I mean Michael Kidd Yorkus was a workable player for a while and that's he's a lot he had a lot further to go. Uh, offensively. So like, I don't know. I don't think there's really any bad picks at six. As long as you're taking a guy you need, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe this, but like I, none of the guys we've talked about, I think would be bad picks at six. It's such a strange draft that you just kind of, who do you want? Like, I, I think the only bad picks you could have at six, if you were like, let's take Jaden McDaniels or like, <laughs> I don't know, Isaiah Stewart or somebody. Like yeah, I just, think all these guys. Reaches. Uh, out. Yeah. I mean, I tried to cast a wide net with these with you in uh, the last couple of weeks as we were recording them. We kind of did everybody. Um, and, you know, we could get into Patrick Williams. We could, we could get into guys a little bit below this that might be still reasonable picks that I've not seen anybody mock that high, but certainly could be somewhere in that range. We talked about Poku, all that stuff. Um, I guess to kind of wrap this whole thing up, and I appreciate all the time, by the way, again, um, I guess I'll ask you, like, what what would your board look like at six, you know, take take Melo off, take Edwards off, because those guys are not going to be there. We we all take Wiseman off. Yeah, take Wiseman off. Like those three guys are gone. Assume that everybody else. I mean, obviously, some of these guys are going to be gone by the time the Hawks pick at six. But assume everybody else is available. And w- what's your board kind of look like if you're Travis Schlenk uh, in uh, mid November? I'm just now. Put, I'm just now finishing it up. I would say Hayes first, Vassell second, Halliburton and Okoro kind of there too. Then Patrick Williams, Denny. And then Pokashevsky. And then, like, if you really want to go really crazy, Josh Green, I think could be the guy you guy look at. And everyone else I would have would be, like, I love Desmond Bain, but I wouldn't take him at six. Grant where Ruler, where, where would six. you have a Kong Wu in that, in that order? Uh, just, like, value? Probably yeah, I mean, just, just practically, you have the pick. How, how, like, who would have to – I guess I guess you just wouldn't take him regardless, given, given that board that you just put Probably out. Probably not. Probably yeah. not. But uh, I would say between Okoro and Patrick Williams. That's kind of what I thought. Um, so, yeah, I mean, broadly speaking, you like Hayes. I like Hayes as well. I haven't finished my public board for the Hawks yet. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting to me. I, I, I know – I mean, you're not the only one that said this, but there is definitely – I won't say a huge split, but it's clear that um, with it's people that I trust that people like Vassell in Atlanta more than Okoro, and I'm intrigued by that. Because I, I have a coral a little bit higher in a vacuum, but not huge. Like they're they're side by side. So like, what, what does that even mean? Nothing. Um, I don't know. It's interesting to me. But I think the consensus of people that I trust that I've asked about this seem to like Vassell a little bit more than a coral, even though in like the consensus well, big board way, a coral is usually seen as higher than Vassell. I have a cell a little higher than him in, on my board. Um, but that's more just because the stuff at the end of the SEC season, like a coral just got overwhelmed. He didn't. He just, it took him a long time to adjust. But I think for the Hawks, if they want to be, if they really want to be good next year, and Vassell is the, the number one guy on their board left, he's probably one of the last guys they'll have who will help. And like, the shooting is, you know, he shoots better, and he's probably more 
ready to play on a good team right now. So I, I that's where I think that's coming from. Yeah. I tend to agree. I mean, he's just Vassell is like so plug and play, and it's not like a shot at him. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not a negative thing at all. People see that as like a negative. It's like no, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's just that he is really easy because to fit in. It, it, in no other sports draft is plug and play a, a pejorative. But it's seen as one in the NBA a lot. If yeah. you draft a cornerback and he's a plug and play cornerback, congratulations, you got a good cornerback. Right. If you draft an a baseball an MLB player and like he'll be able to play on the team next year, it's like oh that's great, great pick. And like, yeah, it's because people still, and it, this is why the Hawks are in a decent spot. But like, if you pick in the top three, people think he has to be a superstar. And if they're a superstar, if they're not a superstar, then it's a bust. And that's how you get so many. That's paradoxically, that's how you get so many busts because you take like Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic because you're like, oh, Marvin Bagley has a higher athletic upside. It's like, how's that working out? It's not <laughs> not doing well for you. Um, so no, like I don't think, and like Russell is not going to be a superstar, but like there aren't superstars in this draft. So, but he also could be, I mean, be a lot of them. this is kind of pejorative too, but there's definitely a world in which Vassell or even a couple of, of these other guys are, you know, elite role players. And that's, that's really valuable, man. Like, especially for it by the way, even more so for Atlanta, because Atlanta already has their number one. Creator. Yeah. There, there is something I, even if I just made that argument, I will say there is something to, um, maybe being wary of Karis Levert picks, if that makes sense of like, because like Karis is a very good player. If the Nets hadn't taken him, if the Nets had taken someone else who busted out, they may have been worse and could have gotten a better player. So like that could be, you could look at that. Like if the Hawks really just want to take a swing, that's sort of where I have, that's why I have Poku as high as I do, because he's probably not going to help me next year. So like, well, here's really... the thing. Yeah. I'm by the way, I agree with you, but here's the thing about Atlanta. The Hawks don't want to do that. Yeah, Not, I was, I was going to say the hall a, you know, you, you know, this too, but rookies are generally bad. Um, so most, even the guys that we like that will be, will be ready sooner or later are probably not going to be huge pluses for you as rookies. And then B the Hawks are going to try to be good next year. Anyway, they're not going to try to bottom yeah. out regardless. Like if this was two years ago, um, yeah, I would have said the same thing, but just practically speaking, and you can argue whether this is smart or not, but in reality, the Hawks are trying to be better next year very clearly. So they, you know, I guess the the part about that that might make sense is that they could take a swing knowing that, that, that the guy won't play. Because I've, I've been saying that forever. There's not a single guy in this class. I guess Vassell is probably the closest one, but there isn't a single guy in this class that I would say should on the merits – like be in the rotation for the Hawks on opening night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, if you draft a guy at six and you yeah. want to play him for sure, I'm saying, I'm not saying otherwise. I'm saying if you're trying to win, if the, if the whole point is to win the season opener, let's just say, yeah, you probably are not going to play any of these guys. So no, just be, I mean, you know, I think, I think, I think you could play a Coro. I think his, you could I certainly think play him a little bit. I just, I just mean, practically speaking, I think like, you play Halliburton. I think those three and then, yeah, and maybe Danny. I mean, Danny. Maybe maybe Danny too. Like Danny, maybe, yeah. these guys are playable, but they're not better than the guys you currently have at this moment. Will they be long? Will they be long term? Certainly, they could be. But you, people get and this. It, it's kind of the line, the lineupification is what I, what I would say. Every time you talk about a player, somebody in the Peace Group's comments or somebody in my on my Twitter page puts out the whole depth chart, like starting lineup with X with with, with rookie X in the lineup. And it's like guys, this I, I know why you do this, but that's not the way this works. Like you have to think about the long term, especially for a team that again is trying to win. You know, 
it was the whole thing with Edwards before the lottery. Everybody was like, well, you know, plug Edwards in. It's like, yeah, he's going to play a lot, but like, he's not going to be good as a rookie. Like, sorry. Probably not. Very, was, very unlikely that he's going to be good. Occasionally there are good rookies. Like there's usually two or three every year that are actually helpful players as rookies. But think about what I just said. There are two or three guys every year that are good as rookies. And it's usually not the guys at the top. Like this year it was Brandon Clark and, you know, guys like that. Um, yeah, I would say that Jaw. I mean, Jaw was incredibly impressive for a rookie point guard, but he's still a rookie point guard. Like he was still probably not in the top half of the league of starting point guards. But the fact that he was like even close to average. I was gonna say Jaw. Jaw was. I, I'm with you 100 percent because Jaw. Jaw was a unmitigated success as a rookie. He was better than anyone could have re- rationally thought he was gonna be as a rookie. And even then, on the whole, he was like the 25th point guard in the league last year. Yeah. And yeah. that was that was the number two pick and overachieving. That, <laughs> that that probably means he's going to be like a top ten point guard. Oh no, he's going to be good. Now. I mean, like, that's not a shot like, at all, yeah. Josh. Yeah, he's very he's very good. I'm just saying, none most of the guards, of, most like, of the none of the top guards now, except save one, were like elite players as rookie, and that one was Chris Paul because he's Chris Paul. Right, because he's an absolute free call player. But even <laughs> Did you know he, that the Hawks could have drafted him. I've never heard that before. I've heard that before. Yes, but oh, he, it's interesting. Even a guy that we both like a lot, like you just said, you would have number one for the Hawks. Killian Hayes is not going to be probably very good as a rookie. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I, I need to see what his shot looks like because apparently he's really worked it. If he's like hitting actual setback shots, then he probably will. He'll probably yeah, I mean, that, there's certainly a path for him to be pretty good. But Depends I'm saying, on what team he's on, too. Like, as a baseline, yeah, as a baseline outcome, it's really hard to project any any rookie beyond the absolute you know uber star rookies um, who were number one overall picks. Beyond that, it's hard to say that rookies are going to be, you know, capital G good in the NBA as rookies. It's just, I would say that Trey wasn't very good. No, he was good. He wasn't like. No, Trey. I mean, Trey. If you started a rookie season in January or February, then yeah. But Trey is Trey's a great example of this. Trey. Everyone knows Trey is an awesome prospect. He's an awesome player now. No one could argue he was a good player when he arrived in the league. Like that's just what I mean. And again, that's not a negative at all. He's just a rookie. Rookies have bad stretches. Cam guards specifically. By the way, last year, Cam Reddish is another great example. Cam Reddish was dreadful for two months, like maybe almost three months. And then for the last two months, looked like a player. And it's like, okay, that's that's a pretty normal progression for a rookie. Like, you don't have to be as bad as he was. He was terrible. But it's just like, even guys who were drafted rightfully in the lottery, a lot of those guys are bad as rookies. It's just the way it was. Yeah. I mean, J- Jared Culver's I, a great I, example, too. I, love, I still, I still I, believe in Jared Culver. I would right say now. I would say that like like I said I think Pistons Killian Hayes would be would not be good as you could be like Celtics Killian Hayes would probably play like 15 minutes a game and he'd be excellent in those minutes but like the question is after that like how does it the development is not a straight line like it's 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 hard it's really hard to track there have been plenty of guys who if they just gone to a different teams probably would have been stars and they yeah. just that's the wrong team. Yep, uh, that's uh, that's all we'll say. I don't, I don't mean to go down that tangent hole with rookies. It's just a, pe- a pet peeve of mine that people just never seem to understand that rookies aren't good. <laughs> yeah. That uh, it drives me and it drives me crazy. I'm, I'm already not looking forward to if if the Warriors keep their pick the, of seeing a bunch of Twitter things being like Steph and Clay and Draymond and James Wiseman. It's like James Wiseman is not he's gonna suck. Whoever no, they it, take, I don't I don't actually know. If it doesn't matter who they take. Like but yeah, and it also goes the other way. Uh, just because you are not good as a rookie does not mean your career is over either if you're a prospect. Like the fact that Jarrett Culver is now seen as like trash for some reason because he had because he had like three bad months as a rookie. I don't know. It just And he's just a, a guy that it, I have used an example, but that goes for lots of different prospects. Um, being bad as a rookie is not disqualifying. That's all I'll say. All right. Well, Brian, 
Thank you for all this time, man. I sincerely appreciate it. Please plug all that you've got. I know your Patreon should be followed by everyone, but if it's not already, uh, I would recommend people following it. But that's all that people where they can find all your stuff. Patreon.com uh, slash Cosmos. I have a uh, big board hopefully coming out for free next week-ish. I'm still kind of slogging through my ACC Big 12 preview. I'll have that out, and then I'll try and get a Pac-12 and Big East one out. Although if I have to skip the Pac-12 and Big East, like if I have to skip any of those, I'll probably skip the Pac-12 because it's not going to be very good. But uh, <laughs> I'll have more college stuff out. It's hard. It's hard like motivating yourself to write about like Nebraska and Kansas State. It's like I just makes me tired. Um, I would. Uh, uh, I, I, would I, I would. I would say on the air uh, right now. I would say if you're going to skip anything. Just skip the programs that don't have prospects. <laughs> yeah, but I, I want I, I, if I'm doing a whole a conference, I want to do the whole conference. I, 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 I get that. I totally, I totally get that. Actually, I, you're like you're like me. I would uh, I would just I would end up doing it, but it wouldn't it wouldn't be any fun. And it is more of a college preview than a, a straight up prospect preview. Like, so it's I don't know, it's tough. I have that, and then uh, I'm gonna I have my big board done. I'm gonna put that out. I'll do I'll probably do a lot of uh, draft reaction stuff there or at Dime. Um, and then I'll, I'll probably launch right into the 2021 stuff because this college season starts like eight days after the draft. That's great. And then the NBA season starts like three and a half weeks after that. Yeah, we're all uh, we're all terrific. Everyone trying to produce content is going to be in a uh, in a deep hole in the next couple of weeks. So we'll see what we'll see how that all goes. But good luck to you, sir. Thank you very much for joining me as always. And uh, for everybody listening, check out Brian's stuff. Check out my stuff, and we will see you next time.